Good evening and welcome to GradCast, the official podcast and radio show for the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I'm your host tonight, Gavin Tolometti, and I'm joined by... Joyla. Hi, and uh, we are here. I mean, for me, this is a quite a nice episode because I feel much closer to my uh, research home right now. So I'm joined by my friend and office mate, uh, Nicole Posnoff. How are you doing? Good. Thank you for having me. Ah, really good. So um, you're in the Department of Earth Sciences, but I hear you also like to, as me, like to work in a little bit of planetary science. You want to tell us a little bit about uh, what got you, what got you in that direction? Yeah, so I did my undergrad here at Western, actually, but in medical sciences. So this is quite a switch for me. I specialized in microbiology and immunology, and then I started doing my master's now in geology and CPSX, which is the Center for Planetary Science and Exploration at Western. And I'm kind of just trying to combine my two hobbies, which are astronomy and biology. And now I'm studying life on Mars. (laughs) And so how did you go from med side to that? So it's kind of a funny story. I took an elective in my undergrad. Uh, it was a mineralogy course with Roberta Fleming, who is now my supervisor. But uh, well, after our lab exam one time, she suggested we all go out for to the spoke and she would get us all our first drink. <laughs> and when, we, when I showed up, we just hit it right off and she... She found out that I'm really interested in planetary science and space exploration and basically convinced me to do a master's degree with her. I was actually originally going to do med school and then she convinced me that this would be a quick two years to do my master's and then figure out what I want to do afterwards. Wow. Um, So did you know anything about grad school at that point? No, I I didn't even know you got paid as a grad student (laughs) (laughs) until I started in September. (laughs) But uh, no, I had no idea. I didn't know anything about the application process. I didn't know what was the difference between a research master's or a course-based master's. So this was completely new for me. I was not expecting to do a master's at all. So And but so you didn't do a thesis then, right? In your no, undergrad? I did not. I did um, my major in medical sciences and then a minor in planetary science and space exploration. So I've always ha- kind of kept up with space, but it's kind of a side hobby. I never thought I would really find a job with space or anything. But mm-hmm. now that I'm a master's student, I see that there's so many opportunities for work in space. Is there anything you've currently got your eyes set on or still still looking? Still looking. Still looking. So I'm still not sure if I am going to continue with astronomy or if I'm going to go back to medical sciences. I'm currently just trying to decide um, if I want to do a PhD or an MD. So Oh, wow. Good for you. Announced. <laughs> and so you're, you're only a few months in, though, right? Yeah. So and I started in September. Okay. And this is a two-year master's. And how are you finding it so far? How is the transition from undergrad to grad life? Because they're very different, obviously. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's so much less stressful, but I, I wouldn't say less stressful. It's a different type of stress. Yes. So fair. it's not like a constant quizzes, tests, exams, like assignments type of stress. It's you gotta you gotta pace yourself and have this big project done by the end of your two years, but you still have time to do your own thing and grow as a person and learn what you like to do, kind of. Totally. Does your research uh, sort of force you to be in the lab over a certain period of time? Is it time sensitive? Yes. Yeah, so the first part of my research is 
so my, all of my research is in a lab, but it's a different lab setting. So uh, the beginning part of my research is more in a micro XRD and microscopy labs, and um, and my later on research, which is going to start this summer, is going to be more in a biological lab where I'm going to be culturing and growing bacteria. Cool. So it's a little bit of everything. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, and so just to kind of dive right into what you do, can you just tell us a little bit about what you've already been doing and what you're going to be doing the next year and a half? Yeah. So my project is kind of a three-step project. So I'm just finishing the second part of it. But basically, uh, the first part is I'm looking at analogs for Mars to be able to find life on Mars, so to know where to look for this life. And so I've been lucky enough to get samples from two Brazilian impact craters, and they're really amazing because they're perfect analogs for Mars. So they're basaltic, just like the Martian surfaces, and they have a hydrothermal system, which is that um, water supply and the nutrients for microorganisms to live off. That's crazy. So, so can I just interrupt and ask you how you got those samples? Yeah. Because that's awesome. <laughs> uh, so one of my supervisors, one of my three supervisors, uh, Alexander Pondefract from MIT, she was lucky enough to actually do the fieldwork in Brazil. And then she was looking for grad students to give those samples to to do work on because she's doing already so much other stuff. And those Brazilian craters, are they um, quite... They've been studied much recently, or are you like one of the first people to really delve into them? Uh, so I'm not the first, but I'm definitely one of the first. These uh, so cool. they've recently been dis- they haven't they're not very known yet. So they've recently been discovered, and uh, very little work's been done on them. Okay, and uh, since like Mars is definitely your, your what you've got your eye on, and definitely looking for. It sounds like trying to look for life or maybe past life on Mars. So what? Would this life probably have looked looked like? I know, I know, I know a little bit that it was probably more microbial. But what is there anything you think it might look like, or do you think it's mainly going to be microbial? So it's mainly going to be microbial, uh, and it's going to be extremophile. So something that's able to withstand the extreme Martian conditions, like the temperature and the pressure and the different atmosphere. And so nothing like what we have on Earth here, but definitely studying these extremophiles on Earth will give us a better idea of what to look for on Mars. So I don't know a ton about Mars or space in general, although I'm very interested in it. But what does um, Mars sort of look like? Uh, So I guess in your typical Mars picture, you see these like orange rocks and just very very hot and cold because the temperature range is so extreme but it's it's kind of a crazy place there's sandstorms there's um just uh, it's just not very pleasant to live there <laughs> fair enough the extreme weather yeah like the and weather the UV. like all the weather they probably saw on the martian maybe not that extreme but yeah. more along the lines i guess was that movie realistic I uh, scientifically, n- no, not really. Uh, I always wondered. Yeah, they, they definitely the <laughs> they definitely tweaked it a bit to make Fair it enough. more more extreme. Dramatic. Get, yeah, more dramatic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. So, is there like water on Mars? I hope this is a dumb question. But... No, that's a great question, actually. Uh. So there, the MRO has recently found traces of hydrothermal alteration products, so hydrosilicates, 
And that means that there was water on Earth, or on Mars, sorry, for sure. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there's water there now. So oh, it, potentially, maybe there's water in the subsurface, but uh, we still are trying to figure that out. So does that tell you when there was water on Mars or just that there was at some point? So that means that there was at some point and hopefully the rovers that we're going to be sending up in 2020 will give us a better idea of when exactly that water was there and when exactly we lost it, but wow. still. That's really cool. So where um, could life potentially live on Mars or is that sort of the purpose of So that's kind at? of the purpose of my study is to figure out so we we like uh, impact craters because they're a really good environment for microorganisms to start their life. Because so when a meteorite hits a surface, it creates an impact crater, which sends shock waves uh, throughout the rocks and creates pores in the rocks, which is that space and habitat for microorganisms to crawl into and live in. And then if there is uh, some water beneath, like we were thinking there's subsurface water, then that's the water and nutrients that are given to the microorganisms. And then that way they're able to hide from the extreme environment, the temperature, the UV, and these pores. And then they're giving, they're, they have access to water and nutrients as well. Oh, wow. Cool. So it's definitely a question of, we, need, we know we have to look for a crater, but it's a question where in that crater because I guess some of the craters on Mars are like hundreds of kilometers in diameter and some as small as probably a penny, mm-hmm. depending on the way you look. Yeah, so that's kind of where my research hopefully will lead eventually. It will uh, figure out exactly based on the shock level of the rocks I'm studying, based on the hydrothermal alteration of these rocks. We will, And then once I start culturing these rocks, I'll see exactly where in an impact crater based on the shock level and hydrothermal level, they prefer to live. So then we'll know if there's an impact crater that's hundreds of kilometers in diameter, we'll know where in an impact crater based on the based on the temperature gradient that we know it has where to look for life, where it's most likely to be found. Wow, that's really cool <laughs> that all of that is possible. Um, so these craters that the samples are from, where did you say that they were located? Brazil. Brazil. Okay. And do you know roughly how big they were? Uh, so the one crater is 12.9 kilometer, uh, kilometers in diameter, and the other crater is 9.8 kilometers in diameter. Wow. And is that, like, small compared to others, large? So there is five impact craters on Earth that are of basaltic composition, which is what Mars is made of. And... These two are definitely the two bigger ones that we have. So there's the other, only five? Yeah, there's where, only five. Wow, where are the other ones? Uh, three in Brazil, one in Russia, and one in India. Interesting. So these are definitely the bigger ones that we have out of the five. So they're better analogs for Martian craters, which are huge compared to terrestrial craters. Are these well-known craters? Like, should I have known this? Uh, so <laughs> there's a lot of craters on Earth. So it's hard to say how many what craters people should and shouldn't Do know. they have fancy names? Uh, Vista Alegre and Varheo Dome. Oh, I'll never remember that. <laughs> <laughs> they're based on the area that they were found. Okay, cool. <laughs> doesn't quite roll off the top like media crater in Arizona. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Chicks live. But where, sorry, when, when were they created? Uh, So we actually don't have exact dates for both of them yet, but uh, they're still trying to figure that out based on radiation from certain minerals that are in the rocks and other methods that they use to date craters. 
And will you ever get the opportunity to go there in person? <laughs> uh, hopefully. That would be definitely future work that I would like to do because right now I'm studying the outcrop of these craters. So it's just the rocks that were found on the surface. But these rocks are extremely eroded and weathered. And I would like to get some drill core samples, which would be fresh basaltic rock that hasn't been eroded yet, which would be wow. much more realistic to Martian conditions where there's no erosion processes. And that's, like, doable? Uh, maybe in my, if I do a PhD. Ah, uh, that's how you're going to get sucked in. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's the ultimatum. Like, oh, so you want to go to the field, upgrade. Yeah. <laughs> then we'll talk. Isn't that what kind of happened to you, Gavin? <laughs> I traveled before they oh, okay, maybe yeah. that office, so. <laughs> yeah, my supervisor, <laughs> my supervisor keeps saying that they're going to convince me to do a PhD. <laughs> I mean, if she convinced you to... Do a master's. Yeah. Put med school aside and go for a master's. Yeah. I think anything's possible. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Um, and so where are you now with your project? So you're only a few months into the program, but how much have you been able to get done? Yeah, so I've done two-thirds of it. but Already? That's, wow. That were the quick two-thirds of it. So okay, the next step is culturing my rock samples and trying to see if I can grow certain bacteria and where they pref- which rocks they prefer. So that could take quite some time so some cultures will take 60 days to grow some will take oh, wow. two weeks to grow so it just kind of depends how it if it catches and if it goes but what's the longest it could take um so based on the microorganisms that i'll be using probably 60 days is the longest one okay cool interesting and with the ones that you've cultured uh, this just popped into my head that the ones you grow will definitely be organisms that we have studied and can identify here on Earth. Do you think there's always a possibility that if on Mars, it's probably there could be a species that we have not even identified and it could become like a chance that we might, even if we cultivate them, there's a chance there might be one species that we've never cultivated before. For sure, yeah. But um, the species that we're kind of looking at are species that are extremophiles, so that they can handle certain temperature ranges and species that would use like iron and stuff that we find in rocks for nutrients. So definitely once we send it off to sequence and we see the um, the microbial community that it has and kind of its genome sequence, then we have a better idea of kind of what to look for on Mars because we'll know that Martian species will need to be able to toler- tolerate such extreme temperatures. So they might have certain gene factors that the ones on Earth might have to. So um, what steps do you have to go through to cultivate uh, your samples in the lab? So um, so this has not officially been decided yet, but I'm actually looking to collaborate with um, some students from Alberta that have a Martian simulating machine. So it's able to actually Um, I would be able to put these rocks in the environment that Mars is like. So it would change temperature daily, it would change light, it would change uh, pressures and stuff like that. So I was hoping to put half my rock samples in this Mars simulator machine and the other half just keep them as regular terrestrial rocks. And then afterwards start growing cultures that I put on these rocks and see the difference between the two environments and see if it's even worth looking at terrestrial analogs to study Mars because if they're that different, if certain bacteria prefer terrestrial ones but not the Mars simulated ones, then there's no point of even looking at them on Earth. That's super cool. I guess with um, your project, you get to collaborate a lot or 
in planetary sciences, you probably collaborate a lot. Is there anybody else that you work with? Um, so I'm hoping to also actually go to MIT to visit one of my supervisors uh, because she is a geomicrobiologist and she's an expert in the field. So hopefully I'll be able to go visit her at some point so she can help me and teach me certain techniques. Do you and have more than one supervisor? I have three. I have Gordon Asinski, oh, Roberta wow. Fleming, and Alexander Pontefract. Wow. <laughs> I've never heard of anyone having three. Yeah. <laughs> That's really cool. Um, and um, so how did you learn to do the techniques that you're using right now in your lab? So a lot of it was just basic lab knowledge that I learned in my undergrad and just knowing how to be in a lab setting from doing chemistry and biology courses. Oh, cool. Good for you. But I also took a geomicrobiology course in the summer. It was in Germany. And that's where I learned a lot of the techniques that I'll be needing to use this summer. That's awesome. Um, so what, what did you get to do for that trip? Did you go there um, on location for a few months? or? Yeah, so it was, uh, it was actually only a week long. It was a short course, but I got to, during that short course, we did field work where we went to the recent back crater and we collected samples and then we brought it back to the lab and did basically what I'll be doing. We did some bio tests on it to see if there was any traces of life on it. That's so cool. Um, you got to collect your own samples. Yeah, my first field work Can ever. anyone sign up for that or <laughs> do you have to be in the field? <laughs> Actually, as long as you have any uh, experience in geochemistry, geology, biology, microbiology, they accepted anyone. It was a very introductory course, but That's very really cool. cool. That's awesome. How and you, not you... mind the rain or wind. You have to be I guess being an outdoorsy person helps, yeah. especially in those situations. We were very lucky. We had really good weather, but definitely have to be an outdoorsy person. you got to get your hiking shoes and be ready to be outside all day. You but you liked it, though? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, that was my first time doing field work, but definitely really enjoyed it, and I would do it again. And in your lab now, are there senior students that can help you along the way, PhD students or postdocs or anything? Um, so there there are, but not directly in the field that I'm at doing, well, not directly in the field that I'm in, because there used to be uh, PhD students in geomicrobiology at Western four years ago, and it was quite a growing field, and then some professors left, and there wasn't that many left, so... I'm kind of one of the few geomicrobiologists here at Western. Oh, wow. So there's not a lot of people that can help? Uh, not that much, but that's one of the reasons I would like to go to MIT and work with one of my supervisors, Alex, so that she could guide me and help me and teach me the techniques that I'm not able to learn here. But it does sound like you might be able to maybe rebuild the geomicrobiology research yeah. area here at Western back up. Join us. <laughs> <laughs> If you like geology but love biology, but if you take biology but love rocks, I mean, you should really consider it. You, yeah. You could possibly go to Brazil, Germany. Who knows where else you have to travel. Exactly. <laughs> I'm in the wrong program, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get to do anything like that, so I'm pretty envious. Um, and so where, do you have your own lab space then? No, uh, we actually lost it this year just because of the lack of geobiology students in the last four years. But it's been taken up by another lab that's there's a lot more use for it with them than with us. So are you still allowed to like use the space or how yeah, does that work? Yeah, I can rent uh, bio, like bio lab space and that kind of stuff, but we don't have our own lab anymore. Oh, gotcha. So this question I want to, we talked a lot about life and potential life on Mars past, but I want to turn it towards a bit more from home. So with the creators on Mars, we might be able to see how life 
could have potentially sparked there with these hydrothermal systems. Do you think during the, the, the formation of the Earth, do you think life on Earth may have potentially started that way as well from the bombardment of meteorites? Yeah, there is a huge bombardment period both on Earth and on Mars. And if there was life on Mars and it did spark from an event like that, I don't see why it couldn't have happened like that on Earth as well. Is there a chance that you'll look at other planets or just mainly focus on Mars? So I'm a Mars lover. Mars <laughs> is my favorite planet for sure. But the main reason for that is because it's actually realistic research and realistic goals to have because it's so close and there's just so many future missions that are going to be dealing with Mars, whereas other planets are kind of far away and a lot harder to reach and do work with. How close is close? <laughs> How far are we talking here from uh, Earth? So still quite far. Uh, Gavin can probably answer that question better than uh, me. I think it's average six to nine months when the to get there. Well, it's because they have to wait. They can't, they don't normally launch some from a uh, lander or rover to Mars until the orbits of. Mars and Earth are at their closest because to preserve right. fuel and time. Yeah, that makes sense. But even then, it takes about six to nine months for it still oh to reach there. Oh my gosh! That's at least crazy. with the technology that we have. People are up there for that long. <laughs> well, not people. Not Ro- people. No. <laughs> Robots. There are people constantly monitoring it. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so six to nine months of their life will be making sure nothing goes wrong. <laughs> I mean, fair Elon enough. Musk is definitely speeding up that process. I would not be surprised if we can get to Mars much faster with his technology. Well, they keep quoting 2030. I need to see ground. If we can get back to the moon first, then I'll believe the Mars timelines. But (laughs) Um, and what about looking at like other planets' moons? I know that there are certain moons that have been. Yeah, Western does a lot of research uh, with other planetary moons, but I've never really got too interested with that. I'm definitely sticking to Mars. Sticking to Mars. And is there a lot of Mars research done at Western? Uh, yeah, there is. Um, there's definitely Gordon Asinski's group. Catherine Niche focuses more on other planets, but there is there is quite a bit of work on Mars at Western. But there's not a lot of people that are doing what you do and what your supervisor it's does, correct? quite interdisciplinary fields. So, well, there's not a lot of biologists that like to work with geologists and vice versa. So Why? <laughs> I don't know. They're all very stubborn and <laughs> like to stick to their own fields and not really Fair collaborate enough. too much. So it's hard to find people who like both. But Fair enough. And they're out there. Um, so you're enjoying your time in grad school so far, though. So you're going to stick out the two years? Oh, for sure. Awesome. I'm, I'm loving it. <laughs> and um, so you said that you were thinking about med school potentially. What's the likelihood that you're going to pursue med school after this? So right now it's still 50-50 if I do my PhD or MD. But who knows? I'm thinking of doing a, after I'm done my master's, I'm hoping to do a quick nursing degree. It's an accelerated nursing program here at Western that is uh, only 17 months. And it's made for students who've done their bachelor in medical sciences. And it's very practical. So I'll get the opportunity to work in a hospital environment and feeling that constant hospital stress and seeing if I can handle that. And then afterwards, I'll decide if I want to do my PhD or MD. And you get a full nursing degree? 
yeah, that? get a full wow. RN degree with that. That that seems really short compared to what's the average four years for a nursing yeah, degree. Yeah, but again, you have to have previous experience with medical sciences or some type of biological sciences, life sciences, something like that. And why do you want to do that first? Uh, just so, again, I know for sure before starting something that takes four years, like a PhD or an MD, just so I know for sure if I can handle that in the future, because medical sciences is a very stressful field. So I just want to know that I can work in a hospital if I decide to. I guess, it's, yeah, it's just a question of like, what stress are you going to be able to prefer the most? Going through academia stress or any type of um, planetary science related uh, career or the stress that goes on in the hospital daily. <laughs> yeah. That, I think it's really cool that you're trying a little bit of both areas to mm-hmm. see what, what suits you. I mean, in school for a while, though. Yeah. <laughs> That's for sure. Um, and so do you find that you have a lot of time right now outside of grad school? or Much you just more than focus? an undergrad. Yeah? <laughs> Definitely okay. much more than an undergrad. It's, again, like I said, it's different types of stress. Whereas, like, in undergrad, you go to classes all day, and then you come home and do homework all day. Whereas here, it's kind of more like a job where you are there nine to five every day or whatever time you prefer to go and do your work. And then you come home and you kind of get to relax and do your own thing. Fair enough. And do you get to do anything for fun? Uh, yeah, I, I like to play sports. So I play volleyball and I play rugby sometimes still. And I like to watch movies and read books. <laughs> nice, nice. What type of sports besides, are you playing competitively? Or? I'm playing intramurals volleyball right now, competitive league. And uh, rugby, I don't play so much anymore. I play sometimes in the summer flag rugby, but not full contact anymore. Cool, cool. I think we need enough science rugby team now. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have enough peop- people to do it. We can do it. <laughs> Let's get it. In fall. In. Let's do this. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but thank you uh, very much for coming on the show and telling us about the uh, potential of life on Mars and how it can come about. It was really interesting. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, we'll have to get you back here. And <laughs> for I, sure. I want to see how this all turns out. It's so yeah, fascinating. Yeah, once I get more results. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you have been listening to GradCast, the official podcast and radio show for the Society of Graduate Students here at Western University. I have been your host, Gavin Tolomedi, joined by George Joyla tonight, and we have been interviewing Nicole Poznoff from the Department of Earth Science and in the collaborative program, the Center for Planetary Science and Exploration. We are on at 6 p.m. every Tuesday at 94.9 on CHRW. Uh, you, if you would like to download our podcasts, you can listen to us at gradcast.ca, Podbean, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you would like to know more about the committee, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and our Facebook page. And if you would like to contact about getting on the show, you can contact us at gradcast, gradcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and have a good night. The Gradcast theme tune has been composed for us by Matthew Becker.